Hello, and welcome to the Shortgun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. We want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is better for the spirit and body so you can become the self-reliant person you were meant to be. Why on earth would somebody want to hunt with a handgun? Isn't it just a novel stunt that some people engage in? Isn't it hard to humanely harvest game with a pistol? Doesn't that gun kick too much? These questions and more are some I hear all the time. Truthfully, handgun hunting has been around probably as long as there have been handguns, whether by necessity or not. The modern method of handgun hunting with, uh, with handguns is probably about 100 years old, uh, maybe more like 75. Elmer Keith, who was born at the tail end of the 19th century, was a prolific gun writer, cowboy, experimenter, and handgun hunter. It was Keith, along with a few others, who convinced the industry to produce the 44 Magnum in the 1950s, which is still today one of, if not the most popular, handgun hunting cartridges. The middle of the 20th century was when handgun hunting really started to pick up steam. Uh, Dick Casool started experimenting with a lengthened 45 Colt case in the 1950s that was to become the 454 Casool. In the decades that followed, we saw the likes of Keith and Kasool, along with Al George, Larry Kelly, J.D. Jones, Elgin Gates, and several others come onto the scene. These were the godfathers, and they were instrumental in the development of our sport. Also during that time, we saw the introduction of some of the most famous and useful hunting handguns ever made. The Ruger Blackhawk, then later the Red Hawk, the Smith & Wesson 29, uh, and the stainless version, the 629, uh, several others. In the 1960, both Remington, uh, the Remington XP100 and the TC Contender hit the market. So it was just a golden era for handgun hunters, and it lasted until about the turn of the century. Um, as handgun hunting does, especially on, among the truly devoted, popularity waned and many guns that we love fell by the wayside. Most notably, to my mind, the Remington XP-100, which was discontinued in 1998, I believe. Those of us who truly loved the sport kept it alive, though. Not a small number of folks were hunting with short guns, but enough, not enough to make the industry cater to us in any meaningful way. Uh, this has changed over the last few years. Several things have conspired to bring uh, handgun hunting back into popularity. First, uh, some new faces have been pushing the boundaries of what even the Godfathers thought were possible. New technology has enabled guns and ammunition to be produced that are more effective at harvesting game and with less recoil, for those that care about that. Second, there's been a renaissance in the general population's thinking about where their food comes from. If you were to go back, I don't know, 40 years, factory-produced food was all the rage. The more calories we could get at a cheaper price, the better. The less we had to work for them, the better. Hunters were seen as a different kind of person. Killers for killer's sake. You know, no regard for the animal. That, that, that was definitely not true, of course. It was just a perception of some people who really didn't know what they were talking about. Now, hunting has become more mainstream. People want to know where their meat comes from, and they don't want it for, to be from too far away. The idea of cooking and eating wild game is back in vogue, and I say that is good news. Let me say this. Handgun hunting is accessible to everyone. There is no game on earth, no game animal on earth that I know of that has not been hunted with a handgun at some time or another. And you do not need the biggest booming magnum to get into handgun hunting either. As with most firearm hunting, the advice about starting with a rimfire holds true in handgunning. 
I mean, get yourself a 22 pistol or revolver. They are not that expensive. They can be had at reasonable prices, and they're great to find on the used market as long as you can make sure they're in good shape. Um, you can hunt several species of game with a 22. I mean, man, squirrel hunting with a handgun is one of my favorite types. I have a sweet Ruger Mark III with a um, Burris Fast Fire III red dot on it, and I just love squirrel hunting, especially with the kids, because you don't have to be super quiet, uh, so it's good for community or family sport. Um, and when prepared right, squirrel is a super meal. On top of that, squirrel hunting is a great way to hone your skills for deer season. Now, I'll also say, uh, back on the squirrel being a good meal, Fried squirrel is delicious, and that's the most common way to eat it. Squirrel and gravy, squirrel and dumplings, all that stuff. But if you put squirrel in the crock pot and cook it like a roast, you'll have some amazing stock. And then you'll also have some meat you can just pull off the bone and make tacos with. Anyway, when you get to deer season, you don't need to jump up to the largest magnum revolver the guy behind the big box store counter will sell you. You know, big bore revolvers are loads of fun, but it takes time to become proficient with them. And deer really aren't that hard to kill. A 357 will do the job as long as you have put in the time to be sure you can put your shots where they belong. There's a lot of debate about whether the 357 Magnum is enough gun for deer hunting, and I won't go into, I'm not going to really get into that right now. I just want to say that for many people, going straight to the big bores will cause a flinch, and I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, you do not want to be caught with a flinch. Work your way up from a smaller caliber, and a flinch will cost you, cause you to miss, you know. A good shot with a 357 is way better than a bad one with the biggest magnum. You know, also anecdotally, I have personally never wounded or lost a deer I hunt I hunted with my 357. Now, I do hunt in Texas where the deer are smaller, so again, be sure that you put in the time to be sure you can put your shots where they go. Another thing I want to talk about is the rising popularity of hunting with automatics, uh, semi-automatics. Back in the day, there were some pretty cool semi-autos designed to match the performance of big bore revolvers. Guns like uh, the Automag and the Wildy definitely had the power and the cool factor, but they were huge. You know, also the Desert Eagle, those are big guns. The Desert Eagle weighs 72 ounces unloaded. Uh, they're cool and they'll get the job done, but nowadays we have access to some great semi-autos and much more wieldy packages. And ammunition technology has made humane dispatch of game animals much easier. The hunting standard for semi-auto cartridges is the 10 millimeter auto, but you know there are others out there that will do the job. Your government 45 ACP, when loaded right and and kept under the the proper constraints, will do the job as well. Just remember, it's all about the limits you must place on yourself to harvest game responsibly. One thing I want to also say is um, you can go hunting with just about any pistol you have. You got a pocket 380 auto. Go small game hunting. If you've practiced enough to be able to kill a rabbit-sized animal at 15 yards, how much better do you think you're going to be if uh, you ever have to use that pistol to defend yourself? I mean, it's great practice, and don't let what you have stop you from getting into the field. If you dedicate yourself to hunting with a handgun, it gives you a host of transferable skills that are applicable to, de to defensive shooting and also gives you another reason to get to the range to practice. But why should people get their meat with a handgun? That brings me back to the questions I mentioned before. Why would somebody want to hunt with a handgun? Well, uh, I can only speak for myself, but I do know others who share my sentiments. It would not be wrong to say that handgun hunters are a different breed. Uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about what defines a handgun hunter as I see it and what 
what attributes and values we share. Not everyone, not all of us are exactly the same, but there are definitely some common threads. So the first one and my favorite is self-reliance. It's probably the most common attribute handgun hunters share. We definitely like doing things our way. Um, at least we like doing them ourselves. To my mind, that's the best part about us. Self-reliance is my why. I, I mean, I am all about it. I firmly believe that the more self-reliant each of us can be, the better our world will be. And to top it off, the knowledge that you relied on yourself to gain the skills to successfully hunt, humanely take game and prepare it in a delicious way to feed your family, that is the ultimate, man. I mean, I'm telling you. Another thing uh, that we all share, all of us handgun hunters, is the love of the challenge. Handgun hunting with any type of handgun is definitely more challenging than rifle hunting, and it can be done to make it as challenging as, as bow hunting. Bow hunters are, are, you know, kind of brothers in arms as far as wanting to, wanting to pursue fair chase and uh, practice hard and feel that sense of accomplishment. But when you decide to hunt with a handgun, you're definitely dedicating yourself to overcoming the difficulties associated with it. To become uh, proficient with a handgun, you have to get to the range and shoot. You know, in my professional life as a custom builder, I hate this about it, but I've known many local rifle hunters for whom a box of ammo would last them two or three years hunting. It, I, I strongly disagree with this, and I think anybody should practice no matter what type of hunting they do, but, you know, there it is. I only bring that up to mention that I don't know any handgun hunter, you know, no handgun hunter that I know doesn't spend time at the range throughout the year shooting several boxes of ammo in order to practice. Not only to hone our skills, but we also love to shoot and we love to experiment with hand loads. And that's all part of the fun, you know, deciding which pistol you want to use or handgun you want to use this year, deciding your load, honing your skills. That's all part of the challenge and overcoming that challenge is just so such a great feeling. The last attribute I want to mention is discipline. Now, this is one that I hope is a very common attribute among handgun hunters because it should be, and I believe it is the most important. Obviously, it takes difficult, or excuse me, it takes discipline to overcome challenges. Um, it takes discipline to be self-reliant. It takes discipline to be successful in anything, really. But it is especially important when you're talking about something that involves taking an animal's life. The discipline to know your limits. You must know at what range you can always put your shots into the vital zone of your quarry and never exceed that range in the field. You must match the gun you are using to the type of hunting you are doing. I mean, know your capabilities and limitations and stay with them. Like I said, this is the most important attribute of a handgun hunter is the discipline to be good enough to humanely harvest game. Which brings us to the next question. Can a handgun harvest game animals humanely? The answer is absolutely yes. Can game be wounded with a handgun? The answer is also yes. As with any other type of hunting, there is the risk of wounding game. But that brings us back to discipline. As with any type of hunting, again, you have a responsibility to the game you are hunting. Handguns absolutely have the ability to harvest game humanely as long as you do your part. And if you take it seriously, it is definitely not a stunt. Many men have gone before us 
treading the path, uh, blazing the path for us to be able to have the knowledge we have today to prove that handgun hunting is a responsible way of hunting. Now, the question that I don't see as important, but probably the one that I get asked the most, especially about pistols chambered in traditional rifle calibers, is how much does that thing kick? Or, you know, no thanks, that that thing probably kicks too hard. You know, when they see a pistol in my shop chambered in 708 or 308, 65 Creedmoor, they just think that it's just going to be too much of a handful for for them um of course there are some handguns that definitely have stiff recoil you know you get a four and five eighths inch revolver chambered in 475 line ball it's going to be pretty whippy um but felt recoil is subjective one person may think a gun kicks too hard and his buddy may think it's not that bad recoil is also largely dependent on technique my, this is what I do and what I suggest, my preferred method for learning to handle recoil is to start with lighter calibers and work your way up. Once you have the fundamentals down, shooting heavy recoiling guns is much easier. And I heard a quote that I wish that I could remember who said it, but it basically went something like, um, it's going to kick either way. You might as well use your fundamentals. You know, it, you might as well pull the trigger right because it's going to kick whether or not you do that. And that, that saying has helped me quite a bit. On the other side of the coin, the recoil on some of the specialty pistols chambered in rifle calibers, like I mentioned, 708, 308, 65 Creedmoor, it's not as bad as you might think. First of all, those guns are usually heavy enough to soak up a lot of recoil. And second, there are several re- recoil mitigation options like muzzle brakes or magnaporting that calm those guns down to quite comfortable levels. Um, personally, I built a, uh, six millimeter Creedmoor specialty pistol. I don't remember how much it weighed, but it's probably five and a half or six pounds at least. And with a muzzle brake on it, I mean, I could track my shots. No problem. It was not bad at all. So don't be afraid to try them. Find someone who will let you try theirs out for sure. I encourage anyone who wants to try handgun hunting, go for it go for it. It's not hard to get into it. And if you need some tips or someone to help, please reach out to me. Uh, My email is ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. I know firsthand what becoming a handgun hunter can do for you. In October of 2018, I suffered my first anxiety attack and it was handgun hunting that helped me through it. I'm going to tell you that story, but first I'm going to let you know my journey to leaving the rifles at home. And I also want to say, you know, sometimes I feel kind of, I guess, I guess you could say strange um, about my feelings about handgun hunting. It's, it's just one of those things where for me, it really turned around a lot of things in my life. I, I mean, I'm not. I wasn't, I wasn't like down on my luck, had problems living in the streets and all that, but I, I, I gained confidence in my life. I gained, um, focus, uh, and it, and it just really, it really turned a lot of things around in my brain as far as becoming a better person. So I, I say that for the right person, handgun hunting can make you a better person. I know that's a big, bold statement, but I believe it. So I got to say it. I did not grow up in a hunting family. My mother had never really been exposed to it, and my father 
who is a fantastic natural shot. And he grew up in West Texas chasing jackrabbits and other small game, but he, he really never had an interest. That doesn't mean my parents didn't encourage my interest in getting food from nature, but it was always others who helped me get it. My parents were always very encouraging. But uh, when I was 14 years old, I killed a squirrel in my backyard with my pellet rifle, and uh, it was in this nice neighborhood in Austin, and they, they didn't, you know, whenever, whenever my family moved into a neighborhood, my, my two brothers and I, they didn't know what hit them. So anyway, I, I killed the squirrel, and uh, a guy from church came over and taught me how to prepare it. He taught me how to gut it with his buck knife, uh, how to soak it in salt water overnight, and then barbecue it. And I mean... Of all the squirrel I've cooked since then, I wouldn't say it was great, but just the idea that I got this food was just, I, I'd always been drawn to that, I, and it was just a great feeling. Uh, short, shortly after that, I discovered all the hunting and shooting magazines in the newsstand at the grocery store, so I just started reading everything I could get my hands on, and I used up all my dad's stamps sending off for catalogs of companies that put ads in those magazines. So I would just go through and see this ad and, oh, what's that company? I'd write down their address. I'd send them a, I used to, I would get on my dad's computer and write like a blanket letter. It was, you know, please, can you send me a catalog? And I would just send them off. I mean, I would send dozens at a time and he'd be like, where's all my stamps? (laughs) And one time, one of those things that I sent off for, I don't know why I did, but it was a uh, metal building supplier, I guess. And I, I have no idea what possessed me. I was 14 years old. So they called thinking that I was a buyer, and the salesman was probably pretty upset that, you know, when he found out I was a 14-year-old kid and he wasn't going to get to sell me a barn dominium. But <laughs> uh, anyway, one of the catalogs that I remember the most was the 1995 Thompson Center catalog. I was fascinated by the uh, interchangeable barrels and multi-caliber options on the contender. And I remember in the center page of that catalog, it had a list of all the factory-offered calibers. And at the bottom of the list was the 300 Whisper. And I'd, I'd never seen a cartridge like this before. It was short, but also had, like, kind of a bigger bullet in it. So it definitely, you know, those for those of you who have seen it, it's similar to the 300 Blackout. But um, so, like, so it's only necked down a little bit, and it had a, a bullet that was longer proportionally than most cartridges of that size. So I didn't. I was like, "What the heck is that?" But when I looked into it, I that's what led me to learning about JD Jones and SSK Industries. And I was like, "What? This is incredible! The number of options and experiments that JD was doing—it just sucked me right in, man." And I thought it'd be so cool to own a TC Contender and 375 JDJ. Uh, And I will someday. I don't know what I'll do with it, but man, it's just kind of like that's to me was always the quintessential big game handgun. So shortly after I got into guns, uh, we moved to the country and it was cool because we moved on five acres with the creek. I could finally shoot and hunt and fish whenever I wanted. It was just it was so cool. I decided I wanted to be a gunsmith when I grew up and uh, I started I always tell people I started taking guns apart when I was 15, started getting it back together when I was 18. But I knew, I kind of knew that's where I wanted to go. So um, I, uh, you know, played with guns and worked on them throughout high school. And, uh, but then life happened for a while before I got back into handgun hunting. I did a stint in the Navy, followed by some gunsmithing jobs. And I did a year of trade school learning to become a machinist. Then I opened my own shop as a general gunsmith. And all that was before I finally got my hands on my first contender. But once I did, it was all over. My journey towards being a full handgun hunter, it just started right then. 
Um, a couple of years later, and I did hunt with that contender. I had a uh, 10, 10-inch, 7-millimeter TCU uh, barrel for it, and I did hunt with that. I, whomever I bought it for off Gunbroker, it came with dies and 80 rounds of bra- federal brass, nickel-plated brass. So uh, yeah, that was my first gun, and that was awesome. My first ha- hunting handgun, and that was awesome. And I finally got like a 357 barrel for it. It came with a 357 barrel, one of the old octagonal ones. And I ha- now I have that barrel, uh, the the 10-millimeter TCU, and the uh, I have a 12-inch 22 barrel, which is a great another great squirrel gun, especially with the kids. So anyway, um, a couple of years later, I saw a gun on the internet that Mike Abel had built for Cody Weiser. It was a bolt action 4570 on a Remington action that was in a cut down choke stock. Um, the old plaster disaster stocks. Mike had uh, cut the butt stock off of it. It was originally for I think it was for a Model 700, and then he. Um, moved everything to make it fit a Model 7. He, he did a really cool job with the breech for the rimmed cartridge. And um, I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And that, that was I was already building rifles at that time, and that gave me the idea to get um, an undesignated Remington 700 action. And I had thought about experimenting with a 458 SOCOM, so I had the reamer and, and uh, gauges for that. I was like, what the heck, I'm just going to build this first <laughs> specialty pistol. With on in 458 SOCOM, I use a, a thumb hole laminate stock and put a fixed four power loophole pistol scope on it. I think it weighed, I use this big old barrel and I it weighed seven and a half pounds. It was it was a beast, man. Uh, that was that was in early fall of 2018, and right about that time, I had that anxiety attack I mentioned. So on, on top of a very stressful move of my family, uh, I had a bit of a career crisis. You know, I realized I didn't want to be a general gunsmith, and I didn't want to build rifles anymore. I, take, I took a look at my bucket list of guns that I'd like to own, and there wasn't one long gun on there. On top of that, I realized, you know, I, I wasn't really into building competition rifles, although I had done it, and I didn't, but I, that wasn't my scene. Um, and then a lot of the hunting rifles I was building, I felt were run-of-the-mill you know i would build a rifle and look at it it they all shot great and everybody who got one for me was super pleased but i was like man i feel like this person could have bought this rifle from any number of people and i want to i want to be set apart you know i want to do something that i'm really passionate about so i realized i had made a name for myself doing something i i no longer loved and it was definitely time for a change so that uh, that season wasn't my first season of handgun hunting, but it was definitely my first to leave the rifle at home completely. The almost eight pound weight, fully loaded and everything, of that 458 pistol I built did not prevent me from stalking through the woods with it with my uh, bog pod, red legged devil bipod. I mean, it was funny. I'm lucky in the people I know, and f- so fortunately, my best friend has land we can hunt on uh, in the Texas Hill Country. The two of us spent so many days that season learning how to stalk and trying to get a deer on our own two feet. And I was just, I had, I put a sling on this big old gun, and I was carrying this uh, bipod that just was so loud. It would just make, it would knock together, the, the legs would knock together. It was just so loud, and it was, it was like... You know, 
crawling before you walk for sure, but learning experience, but I loved it. Um, that year I was able to take an axis and a whitetail at his place and an elk and a pig at another buddy's place. Um, but even though I filled the freezer, that was only half of what fired me up. Many times early on in that season, we would come out of the woods empty handed. You know, we would walk all morning. Um, and you know, to tell you most people where I'm from grew up hunting out of blinds at a feeder. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that in my opinion, especially when you live in such a deer concentrated area where we, where we have to control their population. But I discovered this kind of, you know, stalking. And, you know, when you grow up hunting with the old timers, it's like, you sit in your blind until, you know, an hour after the sun comes up and you get in your blind about an hour or, or an hour and a half before the sun goes down and then leave after the, after sunset. So, so that was kind of blown out of the water when my buddy and I were like, we would get out there before sunset to be set up to start stalking. And then we would, you know, we would go till lunch at least. And then the same, same thing. And we'd have lunch and go out kind of early in the afternoon. And I realized, you know, there's a lot going on in the woods. Man, I learned so much. It was so cool. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I love handgun hunting. Uh, and not that you can't stalk with other types of hunting, but I just love, you know, if you have a bow or a rifle, you have so much more, you become so much bigger in the woods. You know, it's harder to get through the brush with a bow or a rifle than it is with a handgun on your hip or carrying it across draw on the front. So, we 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 came out of the woods empty-handed more than not and we but we got better we continually got better at getting close to deer i realized that being able to get close to game animals and not have them know you were there until you were 50 yards or less away was just about as much of a thrill as being successful in harvesting one and i was just i was totally hooked that was a great first season of handgun only hunting i mean i felt um I felt confidence and happiness I had not felt a long time when hunting. It was like it was like bringing it back to the first time I was a hunter. It was just amazing. Um, I discovered finally, or rather, I guess you could say I'd uncovered my passion uh, for handgun hunting. Self-reliance combined with overcoming a challenge through the application of discipline. It was great. Not all was well though. I successfully hunted the next two. Yeah, two seasons using only my handgun, but my my own restrictions of distance combined with, I guess, pure luck were hiding a serious problem. I had a flinch. Actually, I still have a flinch, and I'm working through it, and I'm gonna I'll talk more on that in the future. Anyway, I was prepping uh, this last season for the yeah for the 2021 season, and realizing I wasn't doing too well at the range, so I decided to do the thing where you load one one of the chambers in the revolver. Uh, spin it around and close the gate. It was my Blackhawk. Um, and then fire the gun, never knowing which time it was going to go off. So, man, I was shaking that revolver so bad when I shot. I mean, oh, it was terrible. And I was like, oh, great. Um, after I discovered that, and if any of you ever followed me on social media, you watched some of my journey where I would videotape myself and um, and talk about, talk about it. Um, but I, I resolved to get some concentrated practice in so that I could fix the flinch issue. It's still there with heavy recoiling guns, especially. 
but I'm working well with my 357 Ruger Blackhawk Bisley, and I'm looking forward to a great season this year. I've been going to the range with it, and I've got it. I've got it pretty well under control. So, there you go. That brings you up to date with my saga. Uh, but before we go, I want to tell you about Handgun Hunters International. This episode is brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. Handgun Hunters International is the premier organization for handgun hunters. We have a cool website where we have a great, well-moderated forum that is friendly to all ages and experience levels. The Six Gunner, which is our bi-monthly digital magazine, is written exclusively by HHI members and is free to the public. We host giveaways of guns, gear, and ammo each month, and every prize is worth several times what membership costs. We also trade info with the industry, and we want to have more influence there as we grow. Help us fulfill our mission of supporting and growing the handgun hunting community by joining today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. We may even have an HHI member in your area that you can connect with for further help. Please leave us a review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. Thank you all and good hunting.